Thank you so much. And uh, in thinking of uh, the long-expected Jesus, one of the things that's most suspenseful, I think, about an Advent season is that we have this moment in our liturgy where somebody has to light a candle. Now, today, it was done very well. Uh, But I've been going to Advent services since I was born, and I've seen many times where uh, people, and sometimes because there's no light, lighter fluid in the lighter, uh, and it's not their fault at all that they have <laughs> struggled to get that candle lit, and um, it's always a dramatic moment, isn't it? Do you really feel enraptured, like, are they going to get it? Are they going to be able to get that thing lit? And how long is this going to take? And, uh, you know, Advent, in a sense, is a moment of anticipation like that, right? And we're, we're really looking at uh, uh, the stories of the Old Testament as we prepare ourselves as people are trying to get the light lit. And they're struggling to get the light lit. And it's, it's difficult. And there's a sense of anticipation. Like, are they going to do it? Is it going to be possible that they're going to get the light lit? And so maybe this year, uh, hopefully everybody, uh, we'll prep them. They, they, you know, we'll, we'll try and help everybody. But inevitably, every year we give it to a child or somebody <laughs> who it's a, a, a difficult task to do. But maybe as uh, you feel that moment of suspense, you just let it remind you that our job is to learn how to wait in the season, to learn how to prepare in the waiting for the coming of a Messiah. Um, I also just want to say uh, for a moment here, if I can, just a moment of recognition. We had a elder Christmas party last night with the session, and as I was sitting there, we, we did a white elephant, we had a wonderful meal together as a leadership team at the Brennan's house. They so gracefully hosted us. I was just reminded of the goodness of our church and the leadership of our church. And it's an important thing as we think about the people that care and steward for our church, that they're people who can laugh. They're people who like each other. They're, they're people that have made difficult decisions and done it uh, in a way that's faithful to the calling that God has put on their lives. And we're thankful for the people that are stepping up to be elders and deacons. And so I really want to invite you to come to our meeting next week to see who those people are, uh, because they're the people that help us uh, to make the hard decisions and to uh, carry the vision and mission of our church forward into the new year, and so they're the people that you should talk to um, if you have something you want to do and participate in, if you have a thought. Uh, So get to know those people. They're good people, and they really truly care about this church. And also just because uh, we saw two of them, Tom and Mark, I'm so thankful for the way that uh, they in particular, but the whole session, are just willing to step up. Um, and Mark, so thankful for you even today. You know, whatever the ask is, that you're faithful to, to do it. And that means so much to the church. This church is built on the service of the people of God and the way that God has changed their hearts. And they want to express that out um, to 
whoever, whomever, would be ready to receive and to come to know the goodness of who Jesus is. And so I'm excited to explore a little bit of that with you today in this Advent season. But I wanted to say thank you to our elders first. So uh, with that in mind, let's pray. God, you are the God of rescue. My sense is that we're here today because we know that's what we need. And we're thankful for the ways that you've rescued us in the past. And we pray that for the things that feel unfinished, that still lay heavy on our hearts, that you would remind us that you are a God who rescues, that you are here now to hear our hearts, to know our hearts, to hear our hearts' cries, and to help us to take next steps, guided by you into health and flourishing and hope. And as we do, may we be reminded that your plan is better than our plan, and that we can wait on you for the rescue that you want to provide, and not think that we need to rescue ourselves, but to just come before you and ask for your rescue. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus, amen. So we're, as was mentioned, we're out of the Gospel of John for a season here, and I'm going to invite you now to find the book of Exodus or follow along on the screen however you would like to do that and we're going to read one of the seminal texts in all of scripture one of the most important stories that humanity has ever heard or experienced and I'm going to pick up Exodus uh, chapter 2 starting at verse 23 I'll go to verse 7 in chapter 3 During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his brother-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave driver, and I am concerned about their suffering. We all take a moment in the seat. We all have a moment in our lives where we are in the seat. Sometimes we're the one who gets the help, and sometimes we're the person in the seat. And this story is a story that is designed to speak into our trouble. And it's to teach us what God does when we're in the seat. And I know that many of us have experienced the rescue of God in a moment of our lives. And yet, we see that even though we have this first moment of rescue, that we are constantly in need of God to come and to rescue us over and over and over again in our moments of trouble, God comes and he rescues us. And so the invitation today is to think about how we can view and understand our troubles in light of who God is and his character. And did you notice in the story the first thing that happens that summons God into the narrative is the people's groaning, is their crying out. Maybe not what we would expect brings God into the narrative, but it is the thing that moves the heart of God that directs him to meet with Moses is that he is hearing the cries of his people. He is seeing their suffering, and now he is responding. I have a a new friend that I've met, was at a Christmas party with, and he was describing something he loved about his wife. His wife is a radiologist, doctor who looks at cancer scans and is able to identify the right diagnosis. And so what she does is she takes her unique gift and she teaches other people how to do this work of looking at these scans and being able to say, this is what's really going on. This is the problem that needs to be solved. Now, none of us want to be in that chair. But if we are in that chair, we want somebody. We want somebody who can tell us what's really going on. 
And so it's important for us, whatever is in us, whatever we're struggling with, however we're in the chair this morning, that we can summon the words, we can find the language, we can take what is hard and difficult about our lives and we can name it. We can tell the truth. Right? When church becomes a place where we act, where we act like everything's okay, like we're fine, where we got we dressed up and we're here for church and we're the good, right people, but there's things deep down inside of us that we know we're struggling with, then we're not yet able to get the right diagnosis. Because we haven't summoned the language to name and articulate our trouble. And when we can find the courage to name and articulate our trouble, it gives us the opportunity to get the right diagnosis and name the problem. And now we can get to work. Now we can get on the path to healing. When I share a fun story with you about a guy named Ernest Shackleton, I don't have this picture. Anybody know who Ernest Shackleton is? Yeah, a couple of you know who he is. He is a crazy man from uh, the turn of the century who led ships to the uh, North Pole, South Pole, tried to get them uh, further than any human being has ever gone, and his ship uh, eventually got uh, trapped in the ice before he got to the South Pole. And there's a book written about his leadership and all of the things that he did in order to make what otherwise would have been an incredible disaster where everybody died, an experience for his crew where they actually flourished and had an amazing time, even though they almost died and it was one of the most difficult circumstances anybody could possibly imagine trapped in the ice for six months. They played soccer on the ice caps. They celebrated birthdays together out there in the Arctic. They saw each other eye to eye as team members and they worked together and they learned to enjoy one another's company. I wanted to share one story of Shackleton's leadership in 1908 before he got trapped in this. He would go on different expeditions and one time he made it further than anybody had ever been before. But he was out there with three guys and it took a dramatic turn because one of their ponies fell into a crevice. And they needed the, the ponies not for just transportation but for also for food. Not my thing, but okay. And they were, they were stuck. They didn't know what to do, and they, they eventually were trying to journey back home, and they were uh, eating their horses as they were on their journey back home, and they ate spoiled meat. And they all got sick. And they were out there with nobody around. Imagine how terrible this must have felt. And they assumed that they were going to die. And so this is what Shackleton did in the moment. He turned to his right-hand man, and he asked them to sing his favorite hymn. 
they all gathered around together in their sickness, in their destitution, in the gloom, and they sang this one verse is all they could muster. Lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. Just one step is enough for me. I do not ask to see the distant scene. Just one step is enough for me. You see, God doesn't always give us the full picture of our rescue, of where we land, of where we're, where we're going to be. But it is our prayer, is it not, as disciples of Jesus Christ, that in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our difficulties, that we would come to articulate our heart's cry and that we would find that a next step is all we really need. We just need that one next step. And because we need the bookend to the story, just st short of starvation, Shackleton and his crew found a depot and they were rescued and they made it out. There's something so powerful about finding the right words. The beginning of the story of humanity, can you imagine being out there in the garden, not knowing what all these trees and plants and fish and all the, they didn't have names. It must have felt strange and odd and perhaps part of why Adam was so lonely out there is because he didn't know what all of these things were. And so what did he do? He set about naming them to understand, to take things from chaos to understanding. So as we articulate our heart's cry, you see what happens in the story. God enters. One place where I saw this really beautifully expressed, I think I have the cartoon in there. I was listening on, on a recent trip I was at uh, to an interview with Charles Schultz. And in your bulletin, if you can't read that, I put the cartoon in there. It was an interview asking Schultz, you know, Charlie Brown in Christmas time, right, he's, he articulates an attitude that is not the bright, shiny Christmas attitude, right? He's kind of hum-glum about the whole thing. He's a little bit like, I don't get it. Like, everybody else is having a great time. What's wrong with me that I can't get into the Christmas season, right? And so there's this element in Schultz's art that was being asked and basically was something like, is this really you? Do you really have this opinion? You know, do you struggle with the feelings that Charlie Brown struggles with? And of course, as I listened to Schultz's answer, which of course was yes, I was reminded how beautiful it is that somebody could take their hurt, their depression, their things that were difficult in their life, and to share them with other people, and in doing that, create a resonance, create a connectivity create a hope where there was no hope, just for the shared experience. Let's see if this one works on you. See Charlie Brown talking here he's, uh, or to his friend Linus. See that tiny scar? I got that last summer when I fell off my tricycle. Do you have any scars, Charlie Brown? Lots of them, but they're all mental. Right? 
there's just a sense, if we think about the God of rescue, that there's so much unrest, so much on our minds, so much going on in the world and in our hearts that scars us and is difficult. And yet we see in the story, maybe you caught it, verse 25, so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The tradition here is actually in the Hebrew that he is inner world and also his physical being was concerned for the people of God. This is what the name of God became because of his concern for his people. The Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and graciousness, slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. The very character and nature of God was articulated as God's concern for his people. I want to remind you today one last thing. I think I have a picture of it. This is what happened when God came into the story. This is on holy ground by an artist named David Robinson. That when we discover God's compassion, the only thing left to do is to take our shoes off, to stop, to pause, to pay attention, and to recognize that God is beyond us, that God is good and holy, and he cares for us. So this morning, as you connect yourself to this story, as you connect yourself to the God of compassion, would you take a moment now to stand before God, even in your seats, and ask God for a name for your trouble. Ask God to bring an image, a word, a truth to whatever is on your heart today. And then if you could, also for a moment, remind yourself that you are in the presence of a holy God, worthy to be revered and able to deliver you. So take a moment in silence now and to speak to God, find a name for your trouble. Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Wonderful Counselor. You are good. And your goodness leads us into rescue and redemption and flourishing. Show us the way, Lord. Show us the next step. We don't need the full picture. We just need the next step. Thank you, God, for the way you're working in this place. In your name we pray. Amen.